0: The U.S. Women's Soccer Show
1: from Gold. Have you ever wanted to be the owner of a soccer team in the United States? Well, if you live in Minnesota, or even if you don't, you can be a co-owner of a professional women's soccer team. They don't have a badge. They don't have colors. They don't even have a name. But what they do have is over $650,000 in investment, lots of eager owners, and a club that really seems to be building some momentum as they get set to launch next year. We are going to hear all about that on today's episode of All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. My name is Seth Ritelny. Joining me today, as always, is Amy Ruskai. Amy, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. We have a guest on the show today who's going to tell us all about a new professional women's soccer team in the United States that has a unique ownership model. It is Andrea Yock, who is the president and co-founder of Minnesota Women's Soccer. They are the first women's team in the United States to use a community ownership model where you pay a minimum fee of at least $100 to be a co-owner of the club. Uh, they are starting play in the new USLW League next year. And it is a very interesting model that I wonder if other teams may follow in the future if uh, this team is successful. That's just a taste of what Minnesota Women's Soccer is trying to achieve. But we wanted to find out more, of course. So without further ado, our interview with Andrea Yock, the president and co-founder of Minnesota Women's Soccer. Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's uh, great to chat with you.
1: Let's start from the beginning. Walk us through how this idea came about—not just to to start a team, but to to start a team with this unique ownership model.
0: Um, so we liked this was our pandemic project. Honestly, this was too many of us being locked in our houses, needing to find something to do. So, um, it was an idea of two local sports fans and they invited a bunch of us to come to a meeting. So we all went to a park. We sat six feet apart outside on benches and talked about what could we do to bring women's soccer, a new women's soccer team to town. And once the core group was created and we realized that we were dedicated to figuring this out, we started meeting with all the leagues. Everybody at that time was announcing They were starting a new women's league. So we met with everybody. And at the end of it, USLW was the one that matched up with our mission the most. So once we got that taken care of, then, and the most important thing about USLW is they were okay with a community ownership model. Whereas some of the other leagues, it was more about a franchise fee. And we were just a group of normal community people that are soccer fans. So the community ownership model was really key. And that was where we got started, so that was last spring, and we got announced in June,
2: yeah, and I guess you talked about it a little bit there the about why the u s l w was the right league for you. You know you say it aligned with your mission. What were the specific things about the league that that really sort of drew you in
0: the really the biggest thing for us was it's not just about the soccer on the field, it's really about developing the women as players and then people in the front office and and growing the experience that women can get in sports so that they can continue to go on. So one of the things that we've talked about a tremendous amount is if you are a player that wants to go into sports business, we want to make sure that we are also mentoring you so that you could go and be the CFO of a team someday. You know, if you're someone that wants to be a broadcaster, we will connect you with broadcasters to make sure that you have a mentor and that is also the mission of USLW and that is really what connected for us was to create an entire new generation of women to go into the sports business
1: tell us about this community ownership model because when you look at this team that is kind of the thing that that sticks out as being so unique how how did the idea come about to have that be the model and how does it work functionally, you know, once once the team starts up.
0: The founders of this team are just regular people, right? We have a bar owner. We have somebody that works for the city. Um, I'm a freelancer, uh, someone else works at a nonprofit. So none of us could write a big check. But then we looked at the other community-owned men's teams in the United States, and we realized that they were very um, successful and that their community was really engaged. Like if you look at Detroit City, those fans are, are nuts for that team, but they're also owners in the team. And in Chattanooga, they have T-shirts where you walk around and it says owner on the back of your T-shirt, right? That's cool. So we were like, we can do this. We can become the first women's owned, community owned team in the United States. So we went through all the Detroit City WeFunder Funder. Um, examples. And we talked to them, they were really helpful. And that's what we launched. And so all of our community owners will have votes in important decisions. But bigger than that, the community owners will have two board representatives. So we are right now a five person board, we're going to become a seven person board. So there'll be two people elected by the community owners to sit on the board and they will have an equal vote with the other five of us on all decisions.
1: So what what kinds of decisions go to the board and then what kind of decisions go to everybody who has put down at least $100 to be a, an owner? So
0: the biggest thing that everybody votes on starts on, on October 1st, which is the team name. So right now we are placeholder Minnesota Women's Soccer. And we have been collecting suggestions from the owners for the last couple of weeks. We're down to 16 that looks like they will pass, you know, legal website availability, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then once we have that final list, that will go out to the entire ownership group for voting. So that's their very first big decision. Then once we figure that out, the next thing will be the team branding. So obviously we can't do branding without doing um, having a name. So then we'll move to the branding and they will vote on the branding. So those are the first two big decisions. Board decisions will be more along the lines of hiring people. Like we're not going to probably put that out to a full community vote. Um, Day-to-day decisions about should we have a booth at the Minnesota State Fair? Is this uh, nonprofit the one that we want to align with? And so that'll be more of the business side, regular day-to-day stuff. And then as we keep going, when there are things we are struggling with, And trying to figure out which way to go we do want to engage the community owners to help us make sure we're staying on the path that they all believe in and that we don't go too far you know the columbus crew great example right they they launched that new logo that didn't go over so well you know it came back we want to avoid those things and we want our community owners to sort of keep us honest
2: the model as well obviously you touched on it a little bit then just before about you all have your own little day to day jobs and different expertise in different areas, is that going to be beneficial? Do you think for the whole club in terms of you know you might have contacts that can help and you know different day to day expertise that can that can help in a in a general sense to build the club?
0: yeah, to be honest, it's already helped um because I'm a freelance marketer that does a lot of media that helped us with launch right I run a lot of events, and so that didn't scare me. We have another co-founder who is a merchandise expert, and he's been, he's been working in merchandise his entire life. So all of our merch is handled by him. Our scarves were created by him. He knew the vendor to go to. Um, Wes Berdine, who I'm sure you guys know, is deep in the soccer universe. So as far as all of our connections for the soccer people like Wes knows everybody. Um, Matt Provartsky is deep in women's soccer. He covers go for women's soccer and lots and lots of women's soccer with his Equal Time podcast. So he's heading up the coaching search and, and that group created the job description there. So it, it's not, this is not the model we want to continue once we start playing. We'll need employees and we'll need dedicated people. But for now, it's worked wonderfully. Um, two of our co-founders are both project managers at work. So they create, spectacular spreadsheets and they keep us on track as far as finances. And um, so, yeah, so far it's been the way I've described it is, you know how you've always had a group project when you're in school and there's always someone that you want to kick out. We don't have anybody we want to kick out. Like everybody is doing what they said they were going to do. And it's been great.
1: I wanted to ask about any sort of precedent for this. You mentioned that you spoke with Detroit city and you, and you spoke to Chattanooga Beyond that model, is this something that is unique across most American sports? I know that the Green Bay Packers have something kind of similar to this, but it's at a a different scale. In what way do you have a precedent to follow? And then in what way is this kind of a, a, a unique new thing that you kind of have to figure out as you go?
0: Right. Well, so the Packers model, because we're in Minnesota, is something that is very familiar to Minnesota fans, because if somebody owns a piece of the Packers, you know, it like, you know, they don't but they don't get a say in anything. They don't get to decide. But they're so proud to be Packers owners. So in that way, actually, this model is very similar because we have had investors from across the United States, people who will probably never make it to our games who want to be a part of developing the women's game and developing women in business and supporting this idea. So it is very similar to the Packers like that. We hope to be very similar to Detroit city for the loyalty that the fans have to the team and to that feeling that you really are a part of it. So if you look on, especially on Twitter, our owners are, they're having a blast, right? People have changed their Twitter bios to say owner, you know, MN Woso and, They're very proud of it, and we want to continue to foster that. As far as being unique, we are the only women's team in the US that's community owned. There is one in um, England, Leeds FC has a community ownership model. But for the US, what we are building is something that can be replicated across the country. So we want other communities to do this to say, we don't have to sit there waiting for someone to write a big check. Let's go to our community that has been saying, especially in the last year, how do we support the women what are we supposed to do this is terrible the way the NCAA is treating the women's sports instead of the men's sports and then you can say to your community look here's a way to make it right right put your money where your mouth is and support women's soccer
2: have you had anybody reach out since this is all launched who who maybe has that idea and and wants to launch that in their community has anybody you know been tapping you up for any information of how you've done it
0: um, we have had we've had teams reach out wanting to partner with us. Um, in fact, we I had a team from Gibraltar reach out wanting to be our sister team in Gibraltar. But so far, we haven't had um, other communities reach out. I, I think it's going to probably wait until we actually become a soccer team, right? Like right now, this is a theoretical exercise that people are really trusting, but we haven't played soccer. I, I think in the spring. Once we start playing and we've hired our head coach and there's, you know, actual tangible evidence that this works, I would hope that we would get those calls.
2: It's a beautiful place for a holidays, Gibraltar. You might want to take them up on that. <laughs> I, I've been there. It is lovely. We're open to the ideas. We just told them not
0: quite yet. Since we don't have a single player, it's a little early to be talking about. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal latest news and views on the u.s women's national team and the nwsl on goal all of us the u.s women's soccer show from goal find more u.s women's soccer news and opinion on goal
1: you had set a target of raising fifty thousand dollars from the community ownership model. Where are you at with that target right now?
0: So that actually wasn't our target. Um, The way WeFunder is set up is you set a series of goals and you have to have, so the 50,000 was the minimum we had to have in order to actually launch a full campaign because they want you to show that it's a real thing before you go public. So we had to hit $50,000 before we were able to open it up to the whole country. So that first 50 is pe- personal people, right? It's, it's our community that we said help us get started. Um, the rest of it has gone amazingly. So we are well on our way to actually hitting our full goal. And um, we're going to close December 10th. So people have until December 10th to invest in the team. And given how the first three weeks have gone, we actually believe we're going to sell out all of our shares.
1: Wow, is that something that that you anticipated, or have you been kind of surprised by the reaction that there's been?
0: We believed that we could do well. We have been shocked by how well and how fast like it's just been so fast within the it, within the first few days, honestly, it was like watching the stock market for us. We were going in and refreshing the WeFunder page every five minutes, and the numbers just kept jumping and jumping. And it's continued to do that. So what we realize now is that we're on to something. People are really excited. We've had tremendous support from the soccer community, media, and just people we've never met who are reaching out to us saying, this is so exciting. So yeah, we we were surprised, but pleasantly surprised and really happy to find out that we weren't crazy to believe that this could work.
1: Yeah, because uh, as a a native Minnesotan myself, I I know that that... Is a uh, it's a very saturated sports market. Um, you know, you have the Twins and the Vikings and the Wild and the Timberwolves and the Lynx, and you have the University of Minnesota, and of course you have Minnesota United. There's there's a lot of options. So there's there there's a lot there. So I guess how do you see yourself kind of fitting into that market? I mean, do you do you feel like there's there's um, still enough left over to to give you guys the interest that you're, you're hoping for.
0: Yeah. I think for us, I worked for Minnesota United when they played in the NASL up in Blaine. And that was an atmosphere of families and fun where you could, I could bring my kids to the game and then just tell them to meet me back at the end of the game. And I had no idea where they went for two hours, but they were safe. They were happy. They had a good time. I had a good time. That's the atmosphere that we'd like to create right now, especially on our pro sports level. Tickets are expensive. You know, Minnesota United is mostly sold out. So if you want to take your entire soccer team, it's hard to get 20 tickets together. Right. And then if you want to add in parents, you just can't get a block of tickets like that. And even the U.S. women are coming in a few weeks and the maximum number of tickets you could buy were eight and the minimum ticket price was fifty dollars. That's not attainable for a lot of families. And so we believe our sweet spot is going to be those families that want to come um, as a group, want to be able to bring their friends. It's affordable. It's easy to get to. And it's a safe, positive environment. That's our, our biggest thing is we don't want you worried about what someone's saying in the seat next to you and so that's part of where our community ownership model is going to be great because half of the people sitting in the seats are going to own the team and we're going to talk to all of them about welcoming everybody chat with your neighbor make sure everybody's having a good time if you see something bad happening or a trash can tipped over like help us keep all of those things you know out of the game because there's just no room for it
2: you, you talked about the fact that, you know, you, you might possibly sell out all of the shares. Does the increased sort of funding that's going to come in from maybe what you anticipated, will that alter your vision at all, do you think? Or is it just going to be, you know, a bit of extra change in the back pocket just in case?
0: Um, I think what it's going to do is, first of all, it's going to take pressure off of us to sell a lot of sponsorships so that we're not going to have to compromise about who's going to be associated with the team which is a wonderful thing when we have some set community principles that we want to adhere to. The other thing it will allow us to do is we really want to pay well, right? We want to pay our head coach the best salary in the United States so that we can draw from the best pool of candidates. We want to be able to pay social media people and even like game day interns. I don't want to pay them minimum wage, right? I'd like to pay them competitively so that we get the best candidates, honestly, and that everybody wants to come to us. And then eventually it allows us to do better marketing. It allows us to maybe start camps or partner on things. It allows us to not make the players have to be on a bus for 12 hours, because if we've raised that money, then we can put them on a plane or we can make sure that they're not four to a room in a hotel, right? There's two to a room in a hotel. So that money is really going to help us be very professional in how we go about the team, you know, executing the team and not have to cut corners.
2: And we've seen in, in the NWSL, especially recently, and, and to be fair, across America, there's in the ownership models, there's, there's a lot of sort of famous owners popping up um, all across the sports world at the moment. Um, have you been tapping up any of these famous Minnesotans and see if they want to get involved? We do. Um, Probably our our most famous is um,
0: Chad Greenway is a former Viking. He was captain of the Vikings. He has four daughters. Um, All four play soccer. He's actually a huge soccer fan himself. And I originally met him when Chelsea was in town and we did a jersey swap between him and John Terry. It is a fully signed Chelsea jersey only because I managed to find a golf course for John Terry and a couple of the players to go play on with three hours notice. Um, it was the training got canceled. He wanted to go play golf and we were with actually some help from my friends from the Minnesota wild, able to get them on a golf course, get them clubs because none of them had clubs and shoes and golf attire. And so he gave me a Jersey <laughs> um, cause he was captain of the team. So uh, Chad and his wife, Jenny, are all in, um, the kids have come up with a bunch of suggestions and then we do have some local media, um, or radio folks, um, and celebrity band musician types that have all invested and they've all been very vocal about their investment, which is awesome because it shows that this is real. And that if someone like a Chad and Jenny Greenway are doing it, then, Oh, I want to be a part of this. So there's definitely a cool kid factor to it. Um, which has been really fun
2: left it you left to remind him of that. he be like, oh do you remember do you remember when I sorted that golf course out for you? Do you want to invest yeah. in this women's team? Yeah, do you want to
0: invest in my team? <laughs> exactly. And there are other people, like Lori Lindsay um is supporting us and some some other national people and even people that haven't been investing in the team have been really supportive in their attention and love. Like the Soccer Cooligans and you and Jason Davis, like it's been overwhelming how interested and excited everybody is about this model.
1: Well, I want to thank you for talking about Jad Greenway on this podcast. I I never thought that we would speak about one of my all-time favorite Vikings players on this particular show. So that's kind of awesome.
0: He is a great guy and he was actually the first, one of the first ones I told. I went out to the house and we do some other work together and I went out to the house and I said, like, I need to tell you about this project And so I told him and he was like, wait, hold on a second. And he called all four girls up to the kitchen and he said, okay, tell them again. And his oldest is 14 and she's just a superstar. And so Madden looked at me and she's like, wait, I can play for this team someday. I was like, yes, Madden. I really hope you will play for this team someday. So yeah.
1: I wanted to ask you about some news this week. The USL announced that they are going to start a new second division professional women's soccer league in 2023 called the USL Super League. So you have the USL W League starting next year. You have the Super League starting the year after that. How does the W League fit in with the Super League? Do you think that Minnesota women's soccer would eventually want to be in the Super League? How's that all going to work?
0: So right now we're focused on launching in 2022 and and building a very strong brand. And then, you know, we're open to see what the future holds, but our commitment right now is to the W league is to giving these women a place to play during the summer that is competitive and fun and healthy and an option for them, you know, on the soccer landscape. And then we'll see what happens, but we are, we really want to make sure that everyone knows we're here Everyone likes our brand. Everybody is proud to be a part of our community ownership model and opportunities that arise from all of that. We are going to listen to everything.
1: And just on a broader scale, just how important is it to have more of these professional or semi-professional options available for women's soccer players in the U.S.? It seems like for the last several years, the focus has been on just the sustainability of the NWSL. And now that it appears that the league is in a pretty good place in terms of sustainability, now it seems like the right time to kind of broaden out and, and, and focus more on the grassroots because the NWSL only has 10 teams right now. They'll have 12 next year, but that's, that's not nearly enough for all of the, the players across the league.
0: Yeah, I mean, we talked about it in the NWSL, you know, there are 200 jobs available right? For the entire United States. And what I, the model that we look at a lot is, and especially if you're from Minnesota, is hockey, right? If you are a boy playing hockey, you have so many choices, right? You can go to college, you can play junior hockey, you can play in your local association team, and you can pretty much keep playing hockey, you know, until you can't skate anymore. I think having that ability on the women's soccer side is huge because not everyone is going to make it to the NWSL, but they also don't want to hang it up when they get done playing in college. Not everybody can go to college, right? That's not necessarily everyone's path. And so the more options there are for the women, the more that we're going to continue to grow the talent in the United States and you're going to continue to see the impact that women can have on the sport both on on both sides, right? We see what the US women's national team has done for soccer, not just for women, but for soccer. And
2: more of that is is better, right? Just let's have more. You're the only community owned club at the moment. I mean, do you hope that once this all launches and and you know once everything starts going and next season comes and you know it's a success, do you hope that do you know there might be a few more upstarts like yourselves start popping up around the U.S.?
0: We do, because I think one of the things that frustrates sports fans is the model that exists right now, is the billionaire owner that is unattainable, that you don't run into at your local soccer bar on a Sunday morning. And this community ownership model is something that everybody can do. It it definitely took some work. I mean, we, we had a lot of lawyers and accountants helping us, but it wasn't unattainable. And we did do it without any single one of us, you know, becoming impoverished. Right. It was a very reasonable investment for us to get all those people underway. And some of our investment really was just a loan to the team because now with the community ownership in, we can get some of that money back and pay our legal fees without, us all having to put all of our life savings into it. And so the biggest thing is that this is doable. Like we did it. It's, it's launched and we have a roadmap and we'll share our roadmap. So yeah, we, we want other people to do it. My sister lives in Charleston, South Carolina and the battery, obviously are very successful down there. They have a very fun atmosphere, but she's like, wait, we could do this in Charleston. And I'm like, yeah, you could totally do this in Charleston. There's, there are plenty of people down there and there are women playing great soccer so, even conversations like that, I think will start inspiring people to try it.
2: I guess that's the thing as well. like America's such a big place. I know for me in England, like there's so many local clubs here, whereas you know there were so many stories in the u s of you know I had to drive three hours to go and watch you know this match or even just three, drive three hours to go and play soccer or something like that. The more accessibility as you say, there's more opportunities for for women throughout the entire of America the more sort of clubs that that sprout up.
0: Right. Well, and then the more girls will stay playing the sport. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of research about girls just stopping because either of pressure, you know, societal pressure, not enough opportunities. And yet the same research shows how important sports are in physical and emotional development and confidence. And so we, you know, these sorts of teams being created will give more opportunities for the girls and hopefully they won't quit playing sports. Even if it's not soccer, just don't quit. Keep going. It gives you life skills that you're going to need. Even if you don't become a Megan Rapinoe.
1: Andrew, before I let you go, let us know where we can go to, uh, to get involved.
0: So the website, uh, for is MN women's soccer.com. And on there is the link over to the WeFunder. So we would love to have everybody invest if you invest before October 1st, you'll vote on the team name. So you can still invest after October 1st, but the biggest thing is if you want to say in our name, you need to do that before the 1st. So MNwomenSoccer.com and on all the socials, it's at mnwoso for now. And then once we have a team name, we'll flip all that over.
1: Andrea, thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, good luck with the, with the launch and everything moving forward.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. And we'll definitely stay in touch as we get going. We'll have to get you out here, Seth, for a game.
1: Yes, absolutely. I'll I'll be there over Thanksgiving, but that might be a little too early next summer. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knows? You never know where we might pop up. That was Andrea York, the president of Minnesota Women's Soccer. Um Seth is the the native Minnesotan on this podcast. Do you know what what do you want from from the new Minnesota women's soccer team? What colors do you want? What what do you want to say? In
1: honor of our late great native son Prince. I, I feel like a purple color scheme is warranted. Um, I wish that Prince were still around because he probably would have invested in the team, maybe become the owner. Um, alas, uh, that's not going to happen. But you know, in 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 lieu of Prince, I will probably have to invest if we have Andre on this show and and I don't put down a hundred dollars to become a co-owner. I think. I would be a little bit of a hypocrite. So I will have to do that. But yeah, it was, it was, it was great to have Andrea on. Um, I think it's a really unique model that, that they have. And it's going to be really interesting to, to, to follow how the team does. And I I think that if it's successful, you might see some other teams pop up and, and try to replicate it. Well, that's the show for this week. Uh, Thank you again, as always for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be back again next week. So we will chat with you then.
0: All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. women's soccer news and opinion on Goal.